What's going on, guys? <clears throat> it's uh, Tuesday night, about 11.30 in the evening. I want to jump on here because I got a story to tell you guys. Uh, crazy story that uh, I don't remember being in the news 15 years ago. Uh, but it's a crazy story. Uh, got on the rabbit hole today on the YouTube and the Google machine and it just down it went. And since we're... This year we're doing this uh, three-part series on government overreach. And, you know, we're talking about Ruby Ridge and Waco and Oklahoma City, which we will be doing the OKC episode before the end of the year. And we're going to throw Killdozer out at you. I had to get on here and tell this story. And uh, I don't have the equipment set out or nothing like that. I was just going to earbud and uh, mobile record it tonight. But I'm going to talk to you about this story about Ed and Elaine Brown. Uh, this older couple from New Hampshire. Uh, I Apparently, this was a big thing. In 2007 uh, was the year I lost my mom. I was 19, 20 years old. So, my head was up my ass. This was national news. And I just missed it, I guess. I have no recollection of this. But this is a big story. So, I guess, kind of a... Just a... I don't know. If not backstory. We'll get into it. Uh, I'm sitting here in front of my work computer here in the office looking at this. I've, I've got multiple tabs open on this, and I'm going to try to... Uh, I feel like our best episodes are when I talk it instead of trying to read it. So I'm talking. So I've been enamored in this story all afternoon. Uh, but we go back to 2007, and I, and I guess this couple, you know, they were... I don't know how old they were. They were... Um, so they were in their 60s, probably. Mid to late 60s, somewhere in there. Uh, they were tax protesters, I guess. You'd call them, for, for lack of a better word. They refused to pay uh, federal income tax. And I guess they got in a shitstorm with the federal government. Uh, and they refused to surrender themselves to federal agents after they had been convicted for tax crimes. So then they get into an armed standoff with federal and state law enforcement authorities in at their home in New Hampshire. And it finally ended with their arrest on October 4th, 2007. So here you are exactly 15 years to the day. And then in July of 2009, they were serving sentences for their tax crime. They were found guilty by a federal court of additional crimes arising from their standoff. Now, what's interesting about this is Elaine Brown uh, had attended dental school. She opened her own dental practice, uh, and she was the breadwinner, uh, and her income was a lot of what was involved in the couple's tax dispute because of her dental practice. Now, her husband, Ed Brown, he had been in the pest control business, and he was retired. Now, a little bit of backstory here on her husband, Ed Brown. Back in the 1960s, he was found guilty of assault with a dangerous weapon, and he had an armed robbery conviction over an attack on a, on a civilian uh, in the state of Massachusetts. So he was imprisoned in the Massachusetts Correctional Institute, uh, and he got paroled in January of 1965, and he was pardoned in July 1965. Uh, by the governor. So, uh, but this guy was a, uh, a teetotaler in kind of a, um, I don't want to say right wing, because I, cause I hate that, because not all, not all G GOP voters are extremists, not all liberals, not all Democrats are bad people. But he was, he was a very militia pro, very 2A pro, very conservative guy. Uh, Brown had become the spokesman, uh, Ed Brown, for, for a group called the Constitution Defense Militia, and he had become involved in the militia movement in the 90s. So uh, there's a newspaper that reported that he had uh, designated a whole bunch of people and organizations as part of a conspiracy to deprive uh, everyday normal white uh, blue collar, excuse me, Americans of life and liberty. Uh, among the people and organizations, 
that he named was then President Bill Clinton, former President George Bush, Gorbachev from Russia, the Council on Foreign Relations, the United Nations, the American Bar Association, just for all the lawyers, and FEMA. So this guy is just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? So he had reportedly stockpiled like a year and a half worth of food and weapons and ammunition, and he believed that there would be a federal government takeover of private property, utilities, the media, health facilities, the works. Like, this guy was preparing for some end-of-the-world shit. Well, this 1994 article that was written about him in the New Hampshire Sunday newspaper said that Brown believed the militia was setting up its own courts for the purpose of taking back America. They said that he saw no way the conflict would end except with violence against the American government and the American people. Now, what's interesting about this is that Brown and uh, Ed Brown and his wife Elaine were supposedly uh, agnostic. Uh, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. So let's jump forward a little bit here. So in April of 2006, a month before I graduated high school, Ed and Elaine Brown were indicted in the United States District Court in New Hampshire for several, I mean several, federal tax violations. The prosecutors in this case presented evidence that they had not paid income tax for 10 years, and they had not filed income tax returns in eight years, and they were liable for taxes in excess of like $625,000. That's a lot of fucking money, right? So now... (laughs) Dodo Bird 1 and Dodo Bird 2, Ed and Elaine, they decide they're going to represent themselves without the help of a court-appointed lawyer. They're not even going to hire a lawyer. They don't want a a court-appointed one. You know what? We're going to do this shit ourselves. So halfway through the trial, Ed Brown decides, "Eh, you know what, Elaine? Fuck it. We're not going back. What what, What can they possibly do to us? So Ed decides he's not going back to court, while his wife Elaine then chose to seek the help of a court-appointed lawyer to defend her and negotiate a possible plea guard, which was offered at the time by the federal prosecutor. Well, then Ed and Elaine claimed that they had not been presented with any law that required them to pay income taxes to the federal government, an an argument that's uh, similar to many of the uh, what they call the tax protester statutory agreements. So I like where these guys are going, hey, I'm not under any law to pay. Like, I like that shit. Like, I wish we could all do that, right? So, January 18th, 2007 rolls around. Ed Brown's found guilty in the Federal District Court of New Hampshire on one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States government, one count of conspiracy to structure financial transactions to evade the Treasury, Uh, One count of constructing financial transactions to evade the Treasury reporting requirements and aiding and abetting. Elaine, who again was the the dentist with her own practice, she was the breadwinner of the the two, she was convicted of a count that defrauded the government, five counts of tax evasion and aiding and abetting, eight counts of willful failure to collect employment taxes, aiding and abetting again, one count of conspiracy to, you know, evade the treasury and two counts of constructing financial transactions to evade the treasury, reporting requirements, another case of aiding and abetting. She was convicted of a lot of shit. The tax evasions, the tax evasion convictions of Elaine Brown involved her failure to report an income of $1.3 million over a five-year period. Like, you're federally fucked at this point, right? So judge, you know, bam, slaps the gavel down, all right? This is it. These guys are sentenced to five years in prison. Okay? Five years in prison. Before granting um, Elaine Brown's release on bail, the judge of the Brown's trial ordered her not to return to the Brown's home before sentencing. Okay, pay attention to this. As a condition of her bail agreement with the state, she was ordered to live at her son's home in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester. I can't say. Worcester, Massachusetts. Which she had been living at. She had been living there prior to the trial. A tracking device, an ankle bracelet, was put on her, and she was given permission to leave her son's home only if he was a company. Um, 
spoiler alert, she violated this big time. Not only did she violate this, she destroyed the ankle bracelet and rejoined her husband at their home in New Hampshire. So, on April 14th of 2007, the newspaper reported that Ed and Elaine had recently ordered the clerk of the court to close their case, citing themselves as the court and the judge. Like, you know there's the balls on these motherfuckers? Like, they're ballsy or brave. I mean, I can think of another word, too. How about stupid? But that's just me. But it gets even better. I know you guys are might be a little bit hooked on this story, so like, how could this get any better than this Sideshow Comedy Act? Well, check this shit out. So, they reportedly signed their filings <coughs> with the court using new names. Edward, a living soul in the body of the Lord of the House of Israel Brown, and Elaine, a living soul in the body of the Lord of the House of Israel Brown. Obviously, the court in New Hampshire is like, uh, fuck this. What is going on? They rejected these filings, ruling them frivolous. Okay. So now let's, I want to talk a little bit about their house because this is going to play a big part. So, uh, as we'd said, Ed Brown had a, uh, year and a half worth of food and ammo at his house. And he had over time, of course, like I said, he had been retired for several years, so he had time to tinker around the house all day. Elaine was still a practicing dentist, or thereabouts, and she was the breadwinner over time, so they had money to burn. They spent this time fixing their house up to run on wind and solar-powered generators, even if electric had got cut off from the power grid. He stated publicly that he was not going to go to jail, and he vowed to resist arrest violently, and he would die on his property, rather than go to prison. It's alright, so, got some Ruby Ridge, Waco shit going on here, I love this stuff. So, during the standoff that would start to ensue, they had a number of pro-militia, two-way, anti-government, anti-taxes people, supporters, that would camp out of their house, and, um, they were encouraged to then make a record of any attempt from to take the Browns from their home. This policy of opening the door to supporters led to the successful arrest of a couple by the United States Mar- by the by the US Deputy Marshals. Basically they had um disguised themselves as supporters to the couple. The couple was idiots allowing supporters near the front of the home. Some had crossed into the home And two deputy marshals who had disguised themselves as supporters came in and, you know, took them peacefully. Now, this was a 100-acre property uh, in Plainfield, New Hampshire, where this was. So the property was scheduled to be auctioned off in New Hampshire back uh, about eight years ago in August 2014 by the marshals. Nobody bid at the auction. The Browns implied in interviews that the woods around the house had had explosive booby traps. Federal officials hearing this, knowing how serious the Browns were about this, you know, death or nothing movement, they would not let interested bidders tour the property. Uh, So uh, the IRS has seized the house, and according to records, to the best of my knowledge, the property would sell for uh, just under a quarter of a million dollars uh, back in 2015 or 2016, if that's accurate. I'm not sure. Um, now, this uh, this whole agonistic, agnostic, and this changing of uh, writing their names as temples of the Lord and the house of Israel or whatever that shit was. Let's talk a little bit about this. <laughs> so in March of 2007, they had changed their names after they converted to a non-denominational form of Christianity that they learned from a neighbor. According to friends of the couple, the neighbor who had a long 
beard and wore all white and sandals, flew from Hawaii to New Hampshire to visit the couple, and he would share his religious and legal teachings with them over the period of about a week and a half, two weeks. Now, Elaine would be quoted as saying, the only law book we recognize is the Bible. The only way we're coming out of our house is either as a free man or a free woman or in body bags. Think about that. Like I said, the cup, the, these couples were, were both born in the 40s. You know, like one was born in 42, one was born in 43 or 44, so 90s. So, so you're, they're in their 60s when this is going on. So here you have a 60-something-year-old woman who had been, for most part, probably a pretty well-respected member of the community. She was wealthy. She was in the medical field. She was a dentist. She had her own practice. But she's saying the only way we're leaving our home is in a body bag or as a free man, a free woman, like, you know, what the hell? So shit's, shit's amping up here. Excuse me a second, I need a drink. Now, what's interesting about this case is that Ed and Elaine Brown had alleged that they were they were not United States citizens. They were non-residents of the United States for tax purposes only, and that the New Hampshire tax laws were incorrect, null and void, and labor could not be taxed. So according to a newspaper in New Hampshire, the Browns had not paid some state taxes and had faced a, stat, a state tax lien for business profit taxes in excess of $343,000 at the time. Uh, the, papal, the, the paper would then report, with all the penalties enacted by the state of New Hampshire and interest that has been accumulated over time, and the combined federal-state tax amount, that they could owe close to 4 or $5 million, which corresponds with the judgment against the lane, right? So... Uh, we shoot to July of 2007. Ed Brown had announced that you know he would stop paying school and town property taxes to Plainfield, New Hampshire, where they lived. Uh, the newspaper there, the local, quoted him as saying, "They don't provide me any services. I'm not going to tribute to them anymore. They can go fuck themselves." So, uh, so the Concord Monitor, a bigger newspaper uh, in New Hampshire as Concord's either the biggest or one of the biggest cities in New Hampshire. Uh, it reported that property tax statements had been mailed to the residents of Plainfield on June 1st, 2007 with envelopes. The monitor stated that an employee of the town of Plainfield opened the return envelope from the Browns with no check, but they instead had left a handwritten note that says the land at 401 Centertown Road, Plainfield, New Hampshire, which is their address, and all that it is and upon it, including the Lord's bodies, our kingdom of heaven, belonging to the Lord, have been claimed by him and thus can be claimed by no man, nor can any man have it for beneficial interest. Stand down and away from the Lord's land and the bodies of the Lord. I urge you to stand down. So it is written, so it is done. Dun, dun, dun. Right? So, uh, Ed Brown was also quoted as have uh, made comments towards the law enforcement officials in the judge in his case, saying, I wouldn't want to be this current United States attorney. I wouldn't want to be the judge. I wouldn't want to be any of these people. Anybody that decides to come down here, their names are already out there. They are just as vulnerable as I am. And if they're so foolish and stupid to think that they're not, hey, doom on them. Like, old boy's getting brash, he's getting cocky, and, I mean, that could be interpreted as a threat to me that, you know, so, I'm, I shouldn't be laughing, I'm loving this, by the way, how, uh, like I said, I was 19, 20 years old, my head was up my ass, and I had lost my mother uh, shortly before I turned 20, so, I, I don't remember this, but man, this must have been some good media. And like I said, I, I you know I've been down a rabbit hole all day, just enamored with this story. And here we are, you know, a day removed from the 15th anniversary. So why not, right? Uh, so with all this going on and starting to attract national attention, 
they're still giving these guys, or he's still having access to, to outlets, putting statements out in the paper, putting statements out. Well, somehow, in March of 2007, he had a radio interview. And he made comments about federal authorities. He said, once you've used the lawful word, you've done it the absolute proper way. They still come at you. They are now attacking the creator himself. You kill them. That is exactly what the Ten Commandments tell you to do. And I wish I'd wait to do this one for Puss, but I was so excited for this story because I just had to get it out there. I was just bursting at the seams and like, ooh, podcast. So I would love to see Kurt's reaction to this story. And uh, he usually listens to episodes. When I put an episode out, um, when I put an episode out by myself, he still listens to it. So, uh, Puss, I wish you were here. I can just see your face on some of this. So, and it, and it, and it gets better, guys. So, let's, let's keep rolling. So, we fast forward to June of 2007, which was the month that I lost my mother. I lost her June 21st, 2007. Uh... Ed Brown claimed that law enforcement officials surrounding his property were part of a Zionist Illuminati Freemason movement and that the federal government had no jurisdiction in New Hampshire. I'm going to slow you down right there a minute, Hoss. I'm a third generation Freemason. Those of you who personally follow me on Facebook or on Twitter at the Atkins Asylum, you guys see how much Freemasonry means to me. I've been back in it for a year now. Uh, after being away from it for seven or eight years, I'm back in it now because I lost my grandfather um, 13 months ago. Uh, and I take this pretty seriously. And anybody that looks around and always talks about Freemasonry being involved in, um, and Masons being involved in sacrificial stuff and um, world powers and all this, I just look at you like you're an idiot that has no idea what you're talking about. You want to know about Freemasonry? Ask a Mason. You want to know about Freemasonry? Join the fraternity. So I'm going to go ahead and stop him right there. He's a legitimate douchebag. But for the purpose of this, we just we just got to keep going. Okay? Uh, Ed Brown. So what's interesting about this, too, is that Elaine has been somewhat quiet during this. As we get into the summer of 2007 a little bit, Elaine's kind of, she's just letting Ed... Like, they're together. It's obvious these two love each other. It's a Johnny and June thing. You know, it's she's a ride-or-die bitch. Every man in this world wants a ride-or-die. It's obvious she's a ride-or-die. Even though her issues are the biggest reason they're a part of this financially, uh, he's digging the hole for them, you know, with his actions and his words and everything. She's just going to ride it out with him. Edward would continue on when he was, you know, with warrants and court orders. He said, this is just paper. This is fiction. The entire American government is based on nothing but lies and fucking fiction. We created it, didn't we? Why wouldn't we create fiction? So, (laughs) he continues on that he believed the the IRS and the federal income tax are part of a deliberate plot by the Freemasons to control America, people, and eventually the world. This is, you know, this is where we were at. They let these people vote. They let these people be walk-around citizens. This is where we're at. Where is my vape? I need my vape. I want to continue to t- to, to, to drive home Ed Brown for you guys. So I'm going to jump back a little bit to, you know, five or six months prior. So we're going to go to February of 2007 on a radio show called Constitution for the Defense. Ed Brown was quoted, and this is a lengthy quote, but I have to read this to you. He said, this is the beginning of one very huge movement. I'm not quite sure you understand the ramifications of what's going on right now. This is massive. This is international. We are fed up with the Illuminati. That's what this is all about, loud and clear. Illuminati. Lawyers, whatever they are, okay, it's going to stop. And the judge is a member of that. The federal judge is, uh, excuse me, and the judge is a member of that, I know. Uh, The U.S. attorney, he's a member. They better stop. This is a warning. You can do whatever you want to me. 
My job is to get the message out about you people, and I'm getting the message out, and I'm warning you guys. Cease and desist your unlawful activity in this country and every other country, because once this thing starts, we're going to seek them out, and we're going to hunt them down. And we're going to bring them to justice. So anybody who wishes to join them, go right ahead and join. But I promise you, long after Ed Brown is gone, they're going to seek out every one of you and your bloodline. So I'm just sitting here and I'm just looking at this quote and just this guy is prepared to die. This guy is prepared to federal agents cross the line, come into his property and he's prepared to shoot him out, shoot him down. And if he goes with him, he goes with him. As far as dying with him. When you get a guy that's like that, what do you do? You know, this is a this is a well populated area. This is a this is a ritzy, rich uh city in a very wealthy, richy state. Um you can't go in there and pull a Ruby Ridge ninety two all over again. You know, you have to do this tactical, not tactical, you have to do this with tact, I should say, not tactical. <laughs> you know, here's all that shit being said in February. You know, like, if I'm the federal government, I'm wondering, what the fuck do we do? Because somebody's going to die. You send federal agents up there, at least somebody's not coming back. At least one. And you have to know at this point, you know, we was talking earlier about their home after they'd been arrested being booby-trapped. At this point, you have to have enough intelligence about this company and see this guy's a militia guy and he's a pro-2A guy and he's anti-authority, anti-government. You have to know at some point, someone has done enough reconnaissance to know this place might be booby-trapped. So I'm not willing to rush in there. I don't think the federal government's willing to rush in there. But you have to go in and you have to have an arrest. But before we get to that, let's continue on with more of uh, Ed Brown. He's got that David Koresh thing going on where Koresh would just babble. You know, our Waco episode is one of our most downloaded episodes. It's in our top 10 all-time episodes. And our top 10 is mainly filled with a lot of the content from last year. But Waco has jumped up there. It's been one of our most downloaded episodes. It's in the top ten. Uh, check our archives for it at Podbean uh, and then wherever you get your podcasts. But if you remember in that episode, I talked about Koresh. And what did Koresh do? They let him babble. He would go on these monologues and these phone calls. And he put out this Bible spiel about the seven seals. And they put it out on radio. And, like... Ed Brown is doing so much of that with these interviews and these press releases and everything. All from his fucking home. So on August 10th, 2007, uh, the New Hampshire Hampshire Union Leader newspaper reported that Brown said a war was spreading uh, and there was a federal uprising coming against the United States federal government uh, a revolution was developing and a war would soon come within 18 months. Brown said, quote, it has never, ever been resolved without war. If federal agents storm my property, me and my supporters will come out shooting. He had said that if agents kill him or his wife, his supporters will systematically find and kill the, poli- the chief of police in Plainfield, the Sullivan County Sheriff which is the county Plainfield was in, and others that are sworn to protect him. You know, so according to all this, you know, Brown is, you know, he's pointing his finger at the Masons. He's pointing his finger at uh, Zionist Jews. He's pointing his finger at the Illuminati. You know, this guy was well-educated, which is scary when you got a guy that's that educated. Uh, He said... You know, Brown said he'd done research to show all these groups are working together in a global conspiracy. 
but yet the 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 golden line of humor in this is Brown would say in multiple interviews every time he's not a conspiracy theorist. We deal with conspiracy facts. Freemasonry and Judaism, that's the truth. That is the fact. That is where all the world's problems come from. I know for a fact that they're working together. So how like how crazy is this? Like I'm loving I'm loving this. This is just asinine. This asinine bullshit. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to try, I uh, I looked this up today, uh, and I have it pulled up here. I wanted to put together kind of a uh, a timeline similar to what I did in the Waco episode and, and the Ruby Ridge episode where I have a timeline of the events. And, um, you know, some of this we've we've touched on a little bit ago, but I'm, I'm going to lay it all out now in a chronological timeline of events as far as when... Um, you know, after all these indictments and, you know, the fraud charges and everything start coming. So, we're going to start in um, February of 2007. So, on February 1st, Ed Brown would publish an open letter uh, restating his arguments against the government and pleading with supporters to come to his home in aid of his defense against the federal government. So, February 13th, 2007, uh, prosecutors would ask the court to seize their property. So February 20th, a week later, uh, February 20th, 2007, Elaine Brown would go ahead and cut off her ankle bracelet and, and leave and get to her husband's home. And she would, you know, she wasn't coming out. She was ride or die. Two days later, February 22nd, 2007, a judge ruled her actions violated her bail agreement, and he issues a bench warrant for her arrest. So now uh, we jump into the month of March. On March 2nd, a federal judge signs an order the Browns pay $216,000 to the government or face seizure of their property, including their home. Uh, that order will be would become final at their sentencing in April. So we, nothing much really newsworthy happens for the month of March. So we go into the month of April in 2007 and on April 24th, a U.S. District Court judge sentences them to five years and three months each in prison for concealing earnings and failing to pay income tax on nearly $2 million worth of income. Neither one of the couple was in court for the sentencing. So they're already, by this point, they're not even going back. So a couple days go by, two or three days. April 26th, the judge issues an order of notices of appeal filed by the Browns on January 28th should be treated as having been filed April 24th, which was their sentencing date, and that their initial premature notices of appeal would be treated as having been timely filed. The judge would then also state that within 30 days, the Browns should either file the appellate fee or file a motion to leave the proceeding in uh, papyrus, papyrus, I can never, papyrus, I can never say that word. So nothing really much the rest of the month of April, the last week there. We jump to the month of May. Excuse me, just a second. So, May 18th of 2007, Ed and Elaine Brown report, uh, are reported, they state that they do not intend to appeal their convictions on federal tax evasion. They said they have abandoned man's law and the only follow the rules and laws put forth in the Bible. So, here we go. It's on now. Full on cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know what I'm saying? So, June 2007. On June 7th, police, SWAT teams, and armored vehicles are seen gathering in a field not far from the Browns' home in New Hampshire. A United States federal marshal confirms that one Brown supporter was detained near their property. Uh, several sources later identify the Brown supporter as a man named Danny Riley and state that he was detained while walking their dog. Now, the federal marshal's office releases a press statement indicating that the government agents were not raiding the Browns' home, 
but they were in the area to serve the warrant for seizure of Elaine Brown's tennis office. Now, what's interesting is that subsequent testimony at trial revealed that this operation was, in fact, an arrest attempt, so it was bullshit. So, on the evening of June 7th, Danny Riley, the supporter that had been arrested, records a video describing his encounter and detainment with federal agents that day. The video Riley claims that one camouflaged agent fired two shots over his head after he fled from the agent. Uh, Riley claims after being tackled and tasered, he was threatened with 15 years in jail by the FBI unless he told the media that the siege was expected and planned for and that the outcome was not an aborted attempt to serve a warrant. So take that what you will. So now, you guys know one of my favorite all-time stories is Ruby Ridge. Uh, That was the first in this three-part series this year to be on Ruby Ridge, Oklahoma City, and Waco. Uh, Well, and you, God, for those of you still that, that don't remember what I'm talking about, I have no, go Google, and there's several documentaries, there's several books you can read. Uh, Randy Weaver's daughter, Sarah, actually wrote a book. She lived through it. She wrote a book. But uh, June 18th, 2007, Ed and Lane Brown hold a press conference at their home with Randy Weaver. So, you know, and as you said, Weaver, his wife and his, you know, his, his wife and 14 year old son have been killed by federal agents during the standoff in 92. Randy Weaver voices his support for the Browns and the Browns solidify that they, uh, they are going to resist arrest. They are not leaving their home. So I find that really interesting is because, like I said, I love the Ruby Ridge story. It's, it's a very sad story, but it's one entrenched in heartache and blood and, and standing to your, you know, standing to your beliefs and, and whatever. But here you got Randy Weaver. And for all the wrong that the Weavers had done, and, you know, Randy had done some illegal things. You know, sawing off shotguns. He got involved in a white supremacist movement. Uh... To this day, some say it was unwilling. Some say he knew what he was doing. Regardless, Randy did break a couple laws. He didn't break enough laws to warrant the massacre of his son and his wife, and you know his his attempted murder, and you know his friend being more almost fatally wounded. Uh, but you have Randy, and at this point, you you the thinking is so many people sympathize with with what had happened fifteen years prior to 2007. I know we're talking about the 15-year anniversary of this, but 15 years prior to 2007, in 1992, uh, so it just looks for all intents and purposes like there's going to be some people that are going to be sympathetic with Edna Lane Brown. Well, Edna Lane, not to be deterred, and they're determined, and they're going to kind of, you know, stick their finger up the nose of the government here and smack them on the ass and tell them good try. In July 14th of 2007, the couple hosts a concert at their Plainfield property. This concert was organized by a very pro-conservative um, 2A movement group called the We the People Radio Network. And it was entitled to Save the Browns. Okay? And they're, you know... They estimate, you know, two, three, four, five hundred people showed up to this thing. So, you know, take out what you will about success. But uh, on July 17th, 2007, uh, three days after this, a Chevy Blazer SUV owned by Elaine Brown is seized by the marshal's office after a traffic accident where there was a 17-year-old girl injured and her car totaled. The driver of the SUV was a guy from New York. Uh, named Jason Gerhard. Uh, according to the girl's mother in the incident, Gerhard did not immediately stop, and after returning to the scene of the accident, he ref- he refused to he refused to uh, provide information, uh, his personal information, license, whatnot, uh, to the seventeen-year-old girl. Now, during his uh, daily internet broadcast that he was doing at the time, Ed Brown confirmed that a friend had been using their vehicle to go buy them food. 
the U.S. Marshal's office confirmed the vehicle had been impounded and that he was investigating the circumstances of the accident. Now, uh, jump forward about 10 or 11 days here. Uh, on July 28th, uh, there was a news report that came out that 30 to 40 shots had been fired at the property. Now, uh, local media had contradicted this, saying that there was no law enforcement activity at the property at that time, and the people that live in the neighborhood also reported no activity, so that was false. That was just people jumping the gun here to, for whatever reason. So now we're going to jump into August, and um, jump back towards August. So on August 22nd of 2007, uh, a local newspaper reported that Edna Lane had succeeded in first recruiting and then driving out the ever-changing cast of supporters from across the country. And when I tell you they had supporters from across the country, I've looked at this. They There was people coming in from all across the, you know, they were anti-government people, fuck the federal government, keep doing you, boo, it is what it is, type of shit. So... September 2007 gets here, and on September 12th, there's four men arrested by the United States Marshal's Office for helping to obstruct justice in connection with the Brown standoff. The charges against the four included accessory after the fact and possession and use of a firearm in relation to a crime of violence. Okay, so we're getting ready to, uh, this thing's getting ready to come to an end now here. So we jump to October 4th, 2007. The 15-year anniversary was yesterday, today, whatever, yesterday. So Edna Lane Brown are arrested, taken into custody without incident, ending the standoff. Now, the United States Marshal's Office said the Browns may now begin serving their 63-month federal prison terms. High-profile situations like this are always difficult, but they don't have to end in tragedy. I'm so glad no one was injured on their part or on the federal law enforcement side of things, and that the community remains safe throughout this entire operation and standoff. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Brown couple had been arrested by undercover officers who were invited into their home by the Browns themselves on the evening of October 4th, 2007. And before the couple realized they weren't supporters, they were already under arrest. A local television station would quote, uh, the United States Marshals are saying ultimately this open door policy that they seem to have with the community is what to bring them supplies and welcome followers proved to be their downfall. They invited us in. We escorted them out. So now after the arrest, law enforcement personnel began searching the home and that's when they found weapons, ammunition, explosive devices, booby traps. They found over 20 suspected pipe bombs. They find uh, 9 or 10 destructive IED-type devices. They found bags of uh, explosives hanging in trees, smoke grenades. Uh, materials were there for personally constructed nail bombs. A fucking nail bomb. Like, what in the hell? Like, a nail bomb? Uh, they found 50 cal rifles, 18 other guns. They found almost a hundred thousand rounds of ammunition. So these two were going to go out in style. Uh, the following day, on October 5th, 2007, uh, the United States Marshal's Office held a press conference and said that even more charges against the imprisoned couple were likely. They quote, "By continuing their actions allegedly to obstruct justice." and to encourage others to assist them to obstruct justice by making threats towards law enforcement and other government officials. They have turned this into far more than what it originally was, and that was just a simple tax case. So, uh, shortly after the couple was in prison, Ed Brown, who is somewhat of a celebrity in his own right, I mean, he's, he attracted a lot of attention, he would start clamoring that he was being mistreated, tasered, gassed, uh, isolated from other inmates, subjected to sensory deprivation, uh, just blah, 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 which, I mean, you're in fucking prison. What do you expect? It's not supposed to be a, it's not a state, the Ritz-Carlton, you know what I mean? Uh, so, so now I want to uh, briefly touch on their followers again. Uh, some of their followers were uh, convicted of crimes. Uh, 
uh, Danny Riley from New York, who we talked about, he was sentenced to 36 years in federal prison after having been convicted of helping to supply the Browns and stockpiling their weapons as well as threatening law enforcement officials. Uh, conspiracy, aiding and abetting, using guns and bombs, uh, guns and bombs, excuse me, with a connection and a standoff. Uh, Jason Gerhard from New York, the, uh, the car driver of the couple's blazer, uh, he got sentenced to 20 years in prison. A, uh, Hispanic fellow named Serino Gonzalez, uh, from Texas, he got eight years in prison. Uh, another guy from, uh, Vermont, by the name of uh, Robert Wolf, he was sentenced to three years in prison. So, so now we go to uh, we're going to jump back to 2009 uh, because you know they've already been indicted and charged as far as this tax case goes. But now we're going to look at you know their actions and what has happened after. And on January 21st, 2009, they were indicted. And uh, by a federal grand jury, and charged with a laundry list of shit stemming from this case here. And it's it's a huge indictment. If if any of you are nerds like me that like a little bit of research and you like reading indictments on stuff, because they're public knowledge, you can find them online. You can Google the United States versus Ed and Elaine Brown indictment. Uh, it's a worthy read. <laughs> but uh, basically. They are charged with knowingly and willingly conspiring by force, intimidation, threat to prevent the United States Marshal Service and uh, discharge of their official duties, which was the arrest of the Browns. Uh, conspiracy to commit an offense against the United States, uh, carrying and possessing a firearm in connection with a crime of violence, uh, felony possession of a firearm, uh, failure to appear for sentencing. Uh, Ed Brown was charged with a count. Uh, one count of failure to appear for a trial in violation. Uh, and it just goes on and on. So now, Ed and Lane got a little smart, I guess, or tried to. They filed numerous pretrial motions contending that the United States is owned by Payne Weber. For those of you who don't know who Payne Weber is, it's an American investment bank and stock brokerage firm that was... Uh, you know, so Swiss bank accounts, you always, you've always heard the phrase Swiss bank accounts. Anyways, um, and that the most, uh, so anyways, get back here. It, the United States is owned by Payne Weber and that the most powerful court in America is not the United States Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. According to the Concord Monitor uh, newspaper in Concord, Massachusetts, uh, Concord, New Hampshire, excuse me. The Browns filed about 30 motions expressing views that their case is governed by commercial law, that they are not the people named in the indictment, and that the federal government has no authority and that they can resolve all charges with promissory notes for billions of dollars. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The Browns would also claim that the U.S. has not had a treasury since 1921. The United States does not have any employees because there is no longer a United States. There are no judicial courts in America, and there has not been since 1789. There have not been any judges in America since 1789. The Revolutionary War was a fraud. America is a British colony. British Britain is owned by the Vatican, and a 1040 form, uh, a 1040 form is for tribute paid to Britain. So, this fuck. <laughs> Oh my god, dude, this is so, wait, wait, I, where's my effects button? Nah, screw it, we don't need it, but, uh, it's, 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 it's fucking humorous. Uh, what, what gets even better is that Ed, uh, Elaine Brown's court-appointed lawyer requested that her competency be evaluated. Like, no shit, right? What about Ed? Well, so they go ahead and do that, and on June 2nd, 2009, the courts ruled that they were competent to stand trial. Could have fooled me. Uh, on July 9th, 2009, they were found guilty by the Federal District Court on all counts charged. On October 2nd, 2009, Elaine Brown was sentenced to 35 years in federal prison. Uh, on 
on in January 2010, Ed Brown would be sentenced to 37 years in prison. Now, both of these two appealed their convictions in the United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, but the convictions were upheld by the Court of Appeals on January 19, 2012. Elaine Brine would then file a petition for writ of uh, satiria. I can't even pronounce it. With this, she filed a petition in the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court denied her petition uh, several months later. Uh, in September of 2011, Ed and Elaine Brown, who were already incarcerated, they are then identified by the FBI as members of the Sovereign Citizen Movement. The Sovereign Citizen Movement is a loose grouping of litigious activists, tax protesters, um, conspiracy theorists who claim to be answerable only to their particular interpretations of what the law is, basically. So uh, you want to look that up. That's some good shit. That's some good reading. If you're a nerd like me that likes to read, so... Now, Ed Brown is scheduled for release on June 9th, 2034, so Big Boy's got about another 12 years to go. Uh, he would then be roughly 92 years old. Now, Elaine Brown is originally scheduled for release in November 2042. However, her sentence was shortened to time served as a result of the Supreme Court's decision in another case, which found the minimum sentencing weapon laws in this case was 30 year. Uh, she was released, she is out, that is correct, she was released February 28th, 2020, and has since sought divorce from Ed. Now, Ed himself has requested a reduced time served an appeal, but his uh, explosive count uh, was reduced to 300 months, so he would still have roughly... 17 additional years over his 13, 14 that he's already served. Now, some of the things Lane did while she was in prison, uh, she, you know, had repeatedly uh, apologized to local papers in their hometown of Plainfield, New Hampshire. She had worked as the library clerk in prison. She had redevoted, her, uh, redevoted herself to God in a non- Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs way. Uh, she done all the right things. She was constantly showing remorse. You know, the, the judges and the parole boards and all these people, they can tell when a bullshitter is a bullshitter. But for all accounts, this woman had given the impression that she was deeply gen and genuine, very genuine in her remorse for her actions. So they had took pity on her and that she was released. Uh, she plans to live with her son. Um, so, uh, according to, to the latest news that come out uh, just a little bit last year of this, um, I said she is requesting a divorce from her husband, Ed. And Ed is still being Ed at 70-something years old, whatever 70, 80 years old. Ed said just consider herself divorced because he's not breaking uh, the vows of love and God and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's 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 funny to me that the, the biggest brunt of their financial trouble was from her income and her being the breadwinner. But the mess they're in was exploded by this guy. And it just, it, it is, it is a, um, you know, I don't know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, so I just, I had to get on here and tell this story. This was a, this was an hour long story. This was short. Uh, I could have did this in depth, but I was like, hey, let's just put a quick Cliff Notes version out. Uh, and, I, and I encourage you guys to read up more about the story. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I, I did everything as factual as I could. Like I said, um, I had my head up my ass. Uh, I was 19, 20 years old, and I had just lost my mother in uh, June of 2007 when all this was going on. So uh, obviously it was national news, might have been global news. I have no recollection of this. I wish I did. Uh, but I went down the rabbit hole, uh, article wise in the Google machine, YouTube, and it was, 
it was uh, entertaining, very entertaining. But it's a good story. I don't think this particularly, maybe I was wrong, I don't think this is particularly government overreach. I know Kurt's a conspiracy theorist. He might have a different opinion. But it was certainly very interesting. And, and what's amazing to me is the whole thing that they're basing their argument on, you know, is that at the time they argued that federal income tax was unconstitutional. They argued that uh, no law authorized federal income tax and that there was an, a 1913 constitutional amendment permitting it that it was never properly ratified. And, ah, fuck, I have no idea. But, um... And again, going back to the property, uh, when I was talking about it earlier being sold, it finally did sell. Like I said, I think it was 2015, 2016, they finally sold. Last anybody has heard of this place, it was gone through uh, with a fine-tooth comb for potential booby traps and hazards. I don't know if any was found. If if they had, they never uh, mentioned that. Of course, you know, there was shit in the trees and, and hidden around. But, but anything is far more extensive as that is underneath the floorboards, the walls, Triggers, uh, it's gone now. The couple that bought it is reportedly completely renovating the home. Uh, so, but, um, that about wraps that up for this episode. Now, I've got something pulled up here. Uh, if you give me just a second, I'm gonna pull up a couple more documents here. Um, just a second. So I, I want to close this out uh, real briefly by just talking about um, content and what's coming up. Uh, as I mentioned before, I really want you guys to hear our episode with After Two Beers podcast. Uh, as I said, uh, if you want to hear the episode we did with them, it was about an hour and a half episode. Uh, search for them wherever you get your podcast: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts wherever you get them, uh, their episode with that we did with them that we sent in is simply titled Steel Toes and Scoreboards Podcast. It was fun. Now, as I've mentioned numerous times, we recorded an episode with them. Uh, we used all their equipment. Mine was in the back of the Dadmobile minivan. Uh, I'm having trouble converting um, because we're not a audio or we're not a video podcast. Uh, I've been ripping the audio. I'm having such trouble uploading that, uh, and I will do my best to get that uploaded. It might take me getting a hold of their executive producer, a super great guy by the name of Kevin. Kevin, I'm still waiting on my hat, bro. I'll pay for the hat. I don't care. Send me the hat, bro. I'll rip that shit. I'll rip your brand. Uh, so I might have to have Kevin take get a hold of our login information and just um, go on it. Now, as far as content for uh, the end of this year and beginning of the next year, there's there's a lot of shit I'd like to talk about. Um, we're still going to do part three of our series, as I mentioned, and I will make sure that happens by the end of the year. I just don't know when we're going to squeeze it in. That's Oklahoma City bombing 95 and Kill Dozer. Kurt has expressed interest, and in, uh, he's really getting into the steel toe side of things. Uh, so we might do some D.B. Cooper. Uh, I would like to do the Alcatraz um, I would like to do Alcatraz, Frank Morris, the escape from Alcatraz. Uh, as far as other sports topics, you know, we have the list that's got a hundred or something episodes on them. We don't always go by the list. Uh, Kurt has expressed interest in the past. He would like to cover the original United States football league, the original USFL. That was only not the one that's going on now, but the one that was, that's going on for like three or four seasons that had Steve Young and Jim Kelly and all them guys, Reggie White. So we might do that. I'd like to do uh, Clive and uh, Bundy, talk about some more government overreach, uh, Google that. And then uh, this little mini project I've been working on, and I and I mentioned this in another podcast episode, uh, is uh, our World Series flashbacks. Nothing we have ever done ever is more well-received than the World Series episodes, with the exception of Waco. Waco was so well-received. Uh, Hoffa, it's too early to tell, but it's getting there. 
but World Series seems to be our bread and butter. So I've started on a project, uh, anniversary World Series. And I do them in five and ten year increments. So I did, I've already got, uh, 2022 done. Uh, this is every World Series in five and ten year increments. Any World Series that ends with a seven, any World Series that ends with a two, like 1947, 1952. Well, then I went ahead and did 2023 as well. Any World Series that ends in three or eight, 1903, 1908. There is so many good World Series in here, uh, to cover. And, uh, I'm scrolling down looking at it now. I mean, there is some legitimate, great World Series, and we're we're going to start doing them, uh, especially because now we're we're in October's postseason baseball, uh, and you know, and we need to get back on a Super Bowl. We're as uh, Kurt and I are are on point to record Saturday night. We're going to do Super Bowl Forty Three, which I have repeatedly said is one of the top ten, if not top five, greatest Super Bowls of all time. Cardinals Steelers 2008, um, February 2009 in Tampa. Uh, tremendous World Series or Super Bowl, excuse me. Uh, Kurt and I are uh, supposed to do a Weeknight Chronicles episode uh, Thursday night, tomorrow night, whatever. So we're gonna we're looking forward to that, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna bust out several World Series episodes. So between now and the end of the year. And we're not going to get all these. My God, you know, there's uh, there's 23 on the 2022 list, and there is 24 of them on the 2023 list. So we'll recommend as as we get them there. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm having fun with that little project. And uh, the other things that are coming, by the way, um, uh, for those of you guys that that care. Uh, I am launching my second podcast at the end of the month. Uh, we're getting our logo designed and, and drawn up for us. Uh, I am launching a Masonic podcast called that other Masonic podcast, that other dot, dot, dot pause, that other Masonic podcast with a member of my Masonic lodge. Uh, so I might cheap plug it on these episodes. Um, that's coming. Uh, but as far as this steel toes and scoreboards, uh, which is always going to be the main focus. Uh, uh, Doyle and I are sometime got to, as the season is vastly approaching, we're going to do an NBA season preview, and then there will be uh, an NHL season preview. Shout out you, Tyson. Um, Tyson and I, a buddy of mine, uh, who's also a, um, a Masonic brother uh, from another lodge here in Dubois County. Uh, we're going to do an NHL preview because yeah, he's a big hockey freak like me. Now, whether it's just him and I or whether him and I and Kurt to get together, I don't know. But um, I'm really excited. We've got some great content coming for the end of 2022 and the start of 2023. And uh, I want to seriously thank you guys for your patronage. Uh, should, should I say patronage? That sounds stupid. Support. I want to thank you guys for your support. Uh we are currently sitting at uh, just under 1,500 all-time downloads, and I know that don't seem like a lot, but when we start a year and a half ago and we have to build this thing listen by listen, it's impressive. Uh, we've come off our three most successful months ever. Uh, July of 2022, we hit 207 monthly downloads, which was a new record. Uh, August of 2022, we hit 222 monthly downloads, which was a record. And now last month, it slacked off a little bit. It, it, you know, it slacked off about 30, 32 downloads. Uh, September, we only had 190. And you know what? On any other day, I'd be pretty upset about that. But, um, you know, that's three peak months where we've been able to uh, hold everybody's attention, even though the, the third month kind of dipped a little bit. We're still holding people's attention. And uh, I'm very appreciative of that. I'm very appreciative of the people that let us call us our uh, quote-unquote sponsors. Uh, shout out to places like Two Sign Guys, uh, Glary Guitar, Beauty and the Beard Company, uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Nana's Aromas LLC, uh, JDJ Log Builders, all these great companies I mentioned. You can Google them. You can find them all online. They all have Facebook pages. 
they're all great people that's just kind of let us, you know, get a little wink and a rub from them. Just uh, it makes us look a little more professional. Uh, we're under no financial compensation to or from these people. They're just a great organizations that provide great services and great business. So, and mainly we want to thank you, the listeners. Uh, again, you guys share the podcast, and for whatever reason, people like to hear hashtag tits, two idiots talking sports. Kurt and I missed the boat. Missed the boat 100% there. But uh, I guess that about wraps it up for tonight's episode. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. Ed and Lane Brown. What a story. I, I just I just cannot keep wrapping my mind around this. That I was 19, 20 years old. And fuck, I had never heard about this before today. Like, this is crazy. This was national news. I'd be bet this made global news. And uh, I was 19, 20 years old, running around, dipping it in anything I could dip it in. And I lost my mom. My head was up my ass. And, uh, man, I wish I could have watched that in real time. Holy cow. It's crazy to me that these people being as uh, devout to this, uh, we're going to leave the house as a free couple or we're going to leave in body bags. How nobody, nobody was injured. Nobody was pronounced deceased like wow what a story it's all right guys so uh anyways i appreciate it uh share the podcast uh we'll hopefully see you guys tomorrow night for a weeknight chronicles episode or just some latest sports news and uh we'll hopefully see you again this weekend for super bowl 43 so for uh kirk kelly i'm jared atkins and uh, we'll holler at you later